0: From the K-Rob collection, this is Audio Antiques, featuring programs from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson. This podcast features the radio show Pete Kelly's Blues. It was a tribute to Dixieland jazz of the 1920s, and it starred Jack Webb, who would go on to become a big star on the crime drama Dragnet. But it also featured blues singer Meredith Howard, one of the few African-Americans to star in a non-stereotypical role during the golden age of radio. Howard also had a recording career and usually sang a solo playing the character of Maggie Jackson. We'll hear Pete Kelly's blues from 1951 right after this.
1: Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing, the home of distinctive quality t-shirts.
0: This is my favorite brand.
2: I love the fit. In the look, you will a panoramic everywhere. Yeah, it doesn't
3: get any better than this.
1: Yep, panoramic. That's my brand. Panoramic lifestyle clothing. Premium t-shirts at popular prices. Get quality for less at plclothing.store.
0: Are you tired of your $50 to $100 per month cell phone bill? Well, come on over to Mint Mobile. I've been with Mint Mobile for years, and I get all the talk, text, and data I need for just $15 a month. You've seen their commercials on TV. Just go to their website, pick the best plan for you, and they will send you a SIM card. Insert it into your phone and start saving. You can even keep your same number.
1: Mint Mobile, where you get talk, data, and text for just $15 a month. Get more information from krobcollection.com.
0: And like me, you can get talk, text, and data for as little as $15 a month at Mint Mobile.
3: the big music and the big trouble in the big twenties. So when they ask you, tell them this one's about the blues, Pete Kelly's blues. with story by Joe Eisinger and music by Dick Ketner.
2: 417 Cherry Street, Kansas City. It's a standard speakeasy. The ceiling is low, the prices are high, and the whiskey is cut more times than a chin at a barber college. The entrance is just wide enough to handle one at a time, vertical or horizontal. My name's Pete Kelly. I play cornet. We start every night about ten, and we play till the last buck is home safe in Lupo's cash register. George Lupo owns the lease. He's a fat, friendly little guy you can always count on for a twenty in exchange for two tens. But that's all right. He lets us play the kind of music we like, and every once in a while he'll let us duck out to make a couple of phonograph records. All he asks is that we're back in an hour and 15% of the take. Well, last night, Matty Wynn had been after us for two weeks to make another record for him, to fill out one side. Matty ran a two-turntable recording joint in a loft over on Baltimore. During the day, he'd keep busy making two-buck personal records for the folks to send back home to the farm. At night, he'd rope a combo like ours to put out with some Dixie for the local market. We'd already pressed a few for his label under different names. The Spickardsville Sparks, the Grundy Growlers, the K.C. Cats. Maybe you got one or two in your collection. Hold on to them. They're pure. Well, it was getting on to 11 when I pushed the tempo on the last number in the second set. Lupo glared at us as we hustled out. We packed up our instruments, we piled into a taxi and Red's Erskine Coupe and slammed out for Baltimore Street and Maddie's Loft. Come on, I'll help you with the bacon. All right, all right, let's keep it light, huh? This is a residential district now. Hold it down, boys, huh?
1: Hold it down. Hey, fellas, quiet down now. Quiet. Pete.
2: Who's that, Red? Looks like Zelda. Oh,
1: Pete, I'm so glad I didn't miss you.
2: Yeah, Zelda. I
1: have to. Could I talk to you for a minute, Pete?
2: All right, what's on your mind? Alone? I got a recording date, Zelda.
1: I know, Pete. That's why I came here. We have to
2: get back to 417.
1: A minute, Pete. A half a minute.
2: All right. Okay, Pete. we'll wait upstairs. All right, you guys, let's move. And Pete. Yeah, Red. We don't sound like much out of corner. Make a snappy, huh? All right. All right,
0: inside, Moe.
1: Okay. Thank you, Pete.
2: All right, come on, Zelda.
1: Don't be mean, Pete. I've had my share of meanness. Way the newspaper. What did
2: you expect? Rave notices for the way you divorced Maddie to marry a hood like Johnny April?
1: I have a right to live my own life. Sure,
2: no matter whose life, you kick the shreds doing it.
1: I love Johnny. And he loves me. Oh, gee, of all people, I thought you would understand that you would...
2: Now look, Zelda, I like a guy named Maddie Wynn. In my book, he didn't rate the kind of treatment you dealt him.
1: You like a guy named Maddie Wynn? How
2: much do you really know? All right, right, Zelda, just funnel this down. Now, what do you want?
1: Maddie refuses to see me, Pete. That figures. I want you to talk to him for me. Saying what? You and Maddie, you always got on well together. He may listen to now, you. Now, look,
2: Zelda, I got a job to do. Get to it.
1: maddie has got a record that belongs to me. I want it.
2: What kind of a record? It's,
1: it's a record you and the boys made once. June night.
2: Well, you're beginning to make a lot of sense, Zelda.
1: You'll understand, Pete. Just tell him I, I'll give him anything he wants for the record. You just tell him that, Pete. If you talk to him, maybe now, he'll... Now, look,
2: look, Zelda, just for the book here. I never liked you much. I know.
1: Indeed. I think I... you were
2: grief for Maddie from the first day he met you until the day you Dell in the final foul. All right, now why don't you just leave him alone? For
1: Maddie's sake, believe me, Pete, for his sake, I must have that record, and if you're a friend of his, Pete, you'll advise him to give it to me.
2: All right. I don't know what you want with an old disc of mine, but if it's something you need, it's something Maddie's better off without. going think you deserted us for the Mount City Blue I just left Zelda. Oh, of course, the wisest thing any man could do. She is waiting for me downstairs. Why is it, Pete, that we always assume the vulture to be male? She seemed more like a frightened rabbit. Zelda, rabbit? Oh, Mink, yes, but never rabbit. All right, Maddie, I'll tell you about it after the session, huh? All right, let's get it on the road, huh? Matty, what do you want us to do? Well, you just got one side to fill. Last time you did me singing the blues, we never did get a good take on Dixieland One Step. Okay, all right, come on, guys, let's like each other, huh? Uh, quiet
1: down,
4: uh, quiet
2: down. All right, let's do Dixieland One Step. How you want routine, Petey? Well, let's see, like this. Everybody going in. Nick, plug those brakes solid. Uh, Matlock, you take the first little break on clarinet. Yeah. Then, Mo, you take the second and really blow it out, huh? Give me a... Get good... everybody in on the first course, huh? Yeah, that's right. And I'll take it for 16. Matlock, you take 16, everybody out. Good and bright, huh?
1: Yeah, All right. All
2: right. Ready, Matty? Just
5: a second. Okay, take it on the count, huh? All
2: right, now, here we go.
5: Four, three, two, one... Thank <laughs> you.
2: Fine, luck. Matty? That does it, Pete. All right, you can pack up. I'll see you back at 417, huh? You stand behind, Pete? Yeah, 10 minutes. Leave the ursling for me, will you, Red? Sure. Look, Pete, you come here to take care of your business. Leave it that way, huh? Don't worry, Red. I am. to. Will you take my horn? Yeah. I'll see you later. All right. well, come on. Nice, Pete. One solo seemed a little long for time, but I think we can get it all on. Look, Maddie. Look, Matty. I know this is probably none of my business. The papers and her marriage to Johnny April has made Zelda everybody's business. Well, oh, she asked me to talk to you about a record. Indeed. An old one of ours, June Night? Yeah, June Night. I remember it well, Pete. I always considered it a splendid achievement in jazz that should one day become a collector's item. Zelda doesn't know jazz from German measles and cares less, but she said she'd give you anything you want for that record. You can tell Zelda that she can purchase a copy of June Night at Lambert's for 35 cents. Yeah, that's why I don't get it. And if you're fortunate, Pete, you never will. Give me, Pete. I don't mean to be sharp with you, but you're young and carefree. Stay that way. And if Zelda should again approach you, take a trip around the world or someplace else, but go. All right, Matty. She asked me to ask you, and I asked. Good night. Good night, Pete. Hey. You Pete Kelly? Who wants to know? Hear that, Perry? He wants to know who wants to know. All right, I'll tell you. I want to know. Feel better? Sure. I'm Pete Kelly, but I got a right... And I got a left. Let's ride. Thanks, but I got my own car here. Right now, ours is safer for you. It's bulletproof. Well, I was going to tell him I didn't need a bulletproof car. He showed me the gun. It was a 45. I know how to admit it when I'm wrong. So we got into the bulletproof car. During the ride, I cased the two artillerymen. Except for their faces, I'd seen them a couple of times before. At 4.17, over at Sour Sammies and Fat Annie's. The same tightly tailored blue suits, the same long, itchy fingers, and the same razor edged lips and eyes. Oh, there's hundreds of them around. But they're pretty right guys. You gotta know how to handle them. Just do as they tell you, and the chances are you won't lose more than one eye. Well, the car glided to a smooth stop in front of the Roxbury Apartments. The private elevator shot us up to the penthouse. My stomach caught up with me as the Gunsels pushed me into a living room that was slightly smaller than Swope Park, but less crowded. One man, all shoulders, no hips, and rich black hair, a face that'd make Wally Reed cut his throat. He was sitting at a table with earphones on. He was tuning a radio. He glanced once over his shoulder at me. I didn't jump more than 20 yards. It was Johnny April. Just a minute. I've been listening to something good on the earphones. Here, I'll plug in the speaker for you. Yeah. You hear that music? Yeah. Nice reception, huh? Yeah. Just got it. 12-tube superheterodyne, Magnavox horn. Pulls in Frisco without static. The best. Drink? No, no thanks. You sure? I'm sure. Canadian import, the best. You sure you want number one? Yeah, sure. Well, luck luck (sighs) yeah it's good stuff got a joke the best you know who I am yeah you sure sure what's my name April Johnny April that's right you know my wife your wife my wife yeah you sure yeah Mrs. April don't you know her better than that than what than Mrs. April well huh well sure I know her I, I knew her when she well before she when she was married to Maddie Wynn Yeah. But you didn't call her Mrs. Wen, did you? Well, I... What did you call her? By her name? Which is? Zelda. Zelda, that's right. That's all I wanted to fix. Now we both know what we're talking about. Zelda. You understand now? Yeah. That's why I invited you here to talk about Zelda. And why you're bothering her. Well, you lost me, Mr. April. Not a bad suggestion, but first I want you to tell me what you and Wen are clubbing Zelda with. You're asking me to play without a cue sheet, Mr. April. I don't even know the tune. Tonight you stopped Zelda on Baltimore Street. You talked to her on a corner. You were seen. She was pleading with you. Now, look, Mr. April, you're spinning it backwards. She stopped me, asked me to speak to Win. About what? Well, about a record she said belongs to her. What record? Well, it's a record. One that I made for Win. It's called the title. Yeah, I know. This sounds silly, but it's true. That's right, Kelly. Sounds silly because it isn't true. What do you want with Zelda? All right, April. You take it any way you like. All I want from Zelda is distance between us. Now, I got a date to play. Jake, teach him. What are you and Wynn cooking? Nothing. What do you want from Zelda? Nothing, I tell you.
1: Johnny, Johnny, what are you doing? Is
2: this the crumb who stops you tonight?
1: Yeah, he's the one.
2: How much did Wynn pay April to take Angel off his hands? (laughs) What did he want?
1: Money. Yeah, he said he and Wynne would make trouble for me, for
2: you. What kind of trouble?
1: My divorce, about my divorce. Open it up again unless I paid them. All right.
2: Now listen to me, Tenhorn. you got luck. you got lots of luck. You should light a candle to your luck. Next time you fill a ditch. This time I only warn you. And these are the warnings on the way. Tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, you go to Union Station. You buy a ticket, east, west, north, or south. You go. You go till the train runs out of the rails. No more room for you in Kansas City. Only in that ditch, you hear me? I hear you. Jake and Perry drove me back to the Erskine they dropped me on Baltimore I sat on the curb my head between my knees after a while I felt a little better I could breathe again the lights were still on up in Matty's loft he was probably working on the master while I navigated the long flight of stairs trying hard to hold back the sudden anger kicking up in me it wasn't Matty's fault he'd warned me about Zelda no use to take it out on him well, I went into the loft and made an effort to hold it down. But it was a wasted effort. Matty wouldn't have minded anything I said or did. Matty wasn't even there. Only his body, half covered with a burlap used on the walls to soundproof the joint. He'd been shot once through the head clawed down enough burlap over himself to make a shroud. Well, I picked up the phone in the office, gave Central a number of Sour Sammy's joint, and waited for Sammy to see if Bonnie Ricketts was under his favorite table. Bonnie Ricketts is the only ex-bootlegger I know who went broke in 1922. He set out to prove that a man could drink his gin without ill effects. But he never set a time limit on the experiment. No, Bonnie hadn't come in yet to Sour Sammy's. Well, I left word for him, meet me at Fat Annie's place. I started to leave. I hesitated and went back to Matty Wynn, spread a clean handkerchief over his face. I made the street three stairs at a time. I crossed the river, jolted the Erskine down Boulder Road to Fat Annie's place. Seemed like a waste of good singing, but Maggie Jackson was getting ready to do her number. I eased a lone drunk out of a booth, draped him on the edge of the bar, and sat and listened to Maggie.
6: Across the river on the. King. Your music and your chicken fried Come to fatter me Just for a pocketful of rock And ride across the river To the campus side, and when you get across that great divide, come to.
1: just beat pete right down to my shoes
2: yeah it's a noisy crowd maggie
1: out of town wine buyers with gin chasers murder
2: yeah do you want a beer
1: thanks pete i could use it all
2: right hey drop two will you barney ain't been in yet has he
1: no you got trouble again pete
2: where can i buy a new birthday the stars are ganging up on me
1: ain't nothing in that astrology pete
2: well there must be some explanation yes or no hot or cold i catch it
1: what's the misery this time pete
2: only that Matty Wynn caught a bullet in the head. No. And if I'm not out of KC, by morning he's going to have company. Look, Maggie, do you remember a disc I cut for Matty? June night?
1: Sure do. Good
2: session. You got a copy of that one?
1: Right on top of the pile. Where? In my room. Just down the street a piece.
2: Well,
4: I'd go with you, Maggie,
2: but I don't want to miss Barney.
1: I'll get it for you,
2: Petey. Thanks a lot.
4: <laughs> ah, Peach Kelly, no kid troubadour, bar of the barrel houses. Hi, Barney. And Maggie Jackson, canary of the cribs. I'll be right back, Pete. Thanks a lot. Petey, I've just suffered a great hurt. No sooner did I set foot in Sour Sammy's joint than Sour Sammy himself came a grinning and a-smirking to tell me with undisguised glee that you were waiting for me here. He was openly delighted to see me go. Yeah, look, Barney. I was sorely tempted to ignore the message, merely to aggravate Sour Sammy, you understand. But since it was you, Petey, and in distress, I'll warrant, I came on the wings of Mercury. Thanks, Barney. Mercury? That's a thought, Pete. We've tried ether in our beer, chloroform, and even the tincture of laudanum. Now, uh, what would a soup spoon of mercury do? Uh, no, too risky, unless, of course, one... Barney, listen from. to me, will you? I'm breathing against the clock. Never will I forget Sour Sammy's attitude, and after all, the credit he's given me, too. No, Petey, it proves only one thing. Man is essentially an asocial animal. We band together only because we find it impossible to survive alone. Yeah, I know. But there is no true affection anywhere. Like the wolf, yes, take the wolf, Petey. He too herds, but only in times of want and stress. Yeah. And as soon as he doesn't have to rely upon his fellow wolf for survival, off he goes to prey upon his own. Yes, Petey, like the wolf, man is a lone hunter, hating the herd because he is forced to depend upon it for survival. You all through? Very well, fellow wolf. Johnny April, Barney. Do you know him? Oh, yes, yes. A fine gentleman, Johnny April, who never kills on the Sabbath. Well, I can't wait that long. He gives me till morning to get out of town. Foolish man right now. You should be navel deep in timetables.
2: Look, I got sucked into this by his wife, Zelda. She asked me to get a record from Maddie Wynn that belongs to her. She told April that I'm trying to shake her down. I got worked over and Wynn got a bullet. What's on this record? I don't know. It's just a disc I once made for Maddie. It's called June Night. Why does Zelda want it? I don't know.
4: Why did Zelda lie to April? I don't know. Here's the record, Pete. Thanks, Maggie. And who shot Matty? I don't know. Let's save time, Petey. Just tell me
2: what you do know. Well, all I know is that Zelda's after this record, and she doesn't want April to know it. And that's the copy there? Yeah, June night. I thought we maybe we could spin it once, and maybe it'll give us some kind of a message.
1: I'll put it on the phonograph, Pete.
2: Thanks, Maggie. I'll wind it up for you here. All right, listen to it, huh?
4: Mean anything? Nothing. No hidden meanings, or codes, or ciphers. Nothing there but the music. Tell me, Pete, how are these things made? What?
2: A recording. Well, you record directly onto a round table of soapy wax, and then they dust this wax with graphite, and they dip it in a copper plating tank. From this, they make what they call the mother or the stamper, and that's what turns out the records that you
4: buy in the store. I see, and the the wax master—that's always kept in the recording studio. Yeah. When you finish a job, Pete, can anything else be recorded on the master?
2: Well, I suppose you could dub from one master to another. Yeah.
4: Petey, when I was a mere lad, my old father told me, when you seek an answer, child, always go to the master. Pointed
2: Barney for the door, we got into the Erskine and jolted back over Boulder Road and across the river. Barney insisted on expanding his wolf-man herd theory all the way back to Baltimore Street. By the time we reached Matty Wynn's loft, my fangs were on edge. Barney looked away from Wind's body as we headed for the file room. I yanked open a metal container. It was empty. The master of June
4: night was gone. Yeah. Your old father was right, Barney. He also told me the master will always be there for you. Notice the disarranged state of the files here. All the compartments. Yeah. Whoever came for the master of June night went directly to the right file as you did. Didn't find it there and ransacked the rest of the place. Well, then Matty hid it figuring something like this. But where... Let's look around the control room,
2: Petey. Oh, there's no place there to hide a flea.
4: Did you ever read a story called The Purloined Letter by Edgar Allan Poe? Not now, Barney. A wonderful little tale. Now, look, Barney, some other... In this particular story, Petey, a number of detectives were taking a room apart by the seam, searching for a letter. They couldn't find it. and Why? Because man is blind, Petey. He never recognizes the truth when his eyes fall on it, just as our eyes now fall on this peculiar-looking record on the turntable. Yeah. Bonnie, you wouldn't leave it out just like this. Prove me wrong. Play it. All right. All
2: right. Let's listen to it and see.
7: You understand what you to say, Elder? You want the script for me? Not that I don't trust you,
1: of course. Let's get on with it, Matt. A little closer to the microphone, Zelda. This close
2: enough, Matty? This close enough, Pete? Don't be foolish, Zelda. Put that gun away. Give me the record, Pete. Sure, in exchange for that gun. You'll get what's in the gun. What like you dealt it to Matty? The record here on the turntable all the time and you
4: broke three nails ripping those files apart? Face the law. Keep your hands up.
1: Lean against it, both of you.
4: Excuse me, madam, but I just dropped in to make a record for the folks... back home. Surely.
1: One move and I'll give it to you in the back.
4: That's my department, Zelda. Johnny! Give me that gun. All right, Zelda,
2: I told you here. I only bought a small piece of your yarn. Now I want the rest of it.
1: I didn't want to involve you, Johnny. I came to pay them off. They killed Matty. See? See there? And I got the gun away it's no from...
2: good, Zelda. Can't you see his face? He's just run out of mileage and ideas. Listen to this, April.
1: No. No, darling. It's a frame. The... Shut up.
2: All right, Kelly, I'm listening, and it better be good. All right. Here it is. It's all on the record.
6: this close enough,
7: Maddie? Perfect. Now, just in case anything goes wrong, this recording will be our protection
1: from each other. To whom it may concern, my wife, Zelda, and I have entered into this agreement of our own free will. All right, just get to it, Maddie. Go ahead. I have told Johnny April that I want to divorce my husband and marry him. When this is accomplished, it is our intention that I be made a widow as soon as possible and then remarry Maddie Wynn.
7: Just for the record, you agree to decoy, said Mr. April, to a predetermined spot where you'll be unarmed and without bodyguard. I agree to shoot Mr. April. The police will not question your story that he was ambushed by a rival monster, identity unknown to you. You will then inherit the April money and return to me. You agree? I agree.
1: Crazy enough to do anything for you, even when you'd sell
2: your own life. All right, fine. That's, that's enough. enough. This will
1: be legal enough, you Johnny.
2: Hey, Paul, don't. Don't shoot her.
1: Johnny, don't. Don't. Please, don't. Yeah, do no. Back off so I won't
4: miss
1: you. Johnny. Yeah. Johnny. Johnny.
7: He can't hear you.
1: I should have let him kill me.
2: You fell in love with him, didn't you?
1: Yes, I did. Only one thing I didn't count on.
2: Yeah. You can't dance at two weddings with one heart.
3: Pete Kelly's Blues. Starring Jack Webb. With story by Joe Eisenberg. And music by Dick Cathcart. Scoring by Matty Matlock. The music of Pete Kelly's Big Seven and Maggie Jackson is now available on Phonograph Records. Ladies and gentlemen, The Red Cross already has allocated more than a million dollars for emergency relief work in the flood-stricken areas of Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, and Oklahoma. The biggest Red Cross job, however, will be rebuilding and refurnishing homes in the flooded areas. Cost of this job will run into the millions, more than present Red Cross resources can provide. That is why President Truman has issued a special appeal to all Americans to contribute generously to a special Red Cross flood fund of at least $5 million. Send all contributions to your local Red Cross chapter.
2: The proceeding was transcribed. It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC. Tonight, one of your old friends is returning to NBC. Yes, there's fun for everyone tonight with Uncle Gildy, that happy, bungling hero of the airwaves, the great Gildersleeve. And later tonight, there's the best in recorded music on Meredith Wilson's Music Room. Meredith's special guest this evening is Frank Lesser, the composer of Broadway's musical Guys and Dolls. And make a note to hear Dragnet tomorrow with another authentic story from the files of the Los Angeles Police Department. The great Gildersleeve tonight on NBC.
3: This one's about Pete Kelly. It's
6: about the world he goes around.
3: Blues, starring Jack Webb, with story by Jim Moser and music by Dick Cathcart.
7: My name's Pete Kelly. I play cornet. You'll find us at 417 Cherry Street, Kansas City. It's a standard speakeasy. We got 35 cases of cut whiskey and a seven-piece band. We start every night at 10, and we play till 6 in the morning. It's not much, but the contract runs out in June 1924. After that, there's a place in South Chicago that may take us. In the meantime, we're working here on Cherry Street. The lease is made out to George Lupo. His brother gave it to him after the funeral. The kind of music we play started out as a backroom exercise in a little swamp stop called Myrtle Grove. La Rocca took his Dixieland band to levers in New York. We got as far as Kansas City. It's no place to get off a train unless you're a sack of mail. Because around here, everybody works at the same job, staying alive. Half a buck buys a pair of socks, a spaghetti dinner, or a down payment on murder. The last night, everything turned sour about midnight. The town was down on its hands and knees trying to crawl through one of those Kansas City hot spells that blast by every third day. It was heat and headaches all the way. Our drummer Nick was dragging the beat and I went bad, 12 bars in on the Memphis blues. Well, I figured we'd better cut the set short, so we started to fight our way through one chorus of Roses of Picardy. That's when the kid came in and stood to the bandstand. He was tall enough to see over a quarter milk with a face the size of a minute and just about as young. All right, let's get off for a while. Who's your friend, Pete? I don't know, but he must be tone deaf.
8: Mr. Kelly! Mr. Kelly! Yeah, son. I heard you play. You sound good.
7: We've been better. What's on your mind?
8: Father Cronin sent me to see you.
7: Are you doing a little missionary work?
8: Oh, no, sir, nothing like that. I'm an olive boy over there. Father calls me Little Jake. I
7: well, sure got you working the late shift.
8: I've been trying to get a hold of you all day. Father wants a favor. I'll
7: well, make it a small one. I'm all out of the big one.
8: And he just wanted to know if you could come by St. Timothy's and see him. He said tomorrow morning right after the 9 o'clock.
7: Okay. Tell him he keeps terrible hours. I'll be there. Well,
8: thanks, Mr. Kelly.
7: St. Hey, Kelly? Yeah, that's right. Tell the kid goodbye. He knows his way out.
8: Should I go, Mr. Kelly? Be the kid. Yes, sir. Goodbye, Mr. Kelly.
5: Yeah. Goodbye, Jake. You got someplace private we'd like to talk. This is my office. <laughs> now listen hard, bright eyes. There's enough gun in this coat to blow you right through the wall. I'll take your word for it.
7: We come in in nice and you get funny, mouth.
5: Now you got someplace we can talk. I can't leave. I gotta do a number. Do
7: it. We'll be right here about ten feet from your stomach. Yeah. All
5: right. Let's go. You look sick, Pete. What's the matter? I feel fine. I'm
7: too sorry now. Everybody ready? Let's go.
5: You proved it. Now let's go. Yeah.
7: Keep them going, Red.
5: How many shall we do, Pete?
7: If this works out, about ten minutes worth. Let's go. <laughs> the alley will do. We need a favor, Kelly. Yeah, there's a run on them tonight. Give me the envelope, Dix. Yeah. You got an inside coat pocket, Kelly? Come on, come on. He to throw her past the dice. Hold him, Dicks.
5: Pull him up, Dix.
6: Come on.
5: Up, Yeah. Now, this is how. Here's an envelope. It goes in your inside coat pocket and it stays there until six o'clock tomorrow night. You don't open it. You don't mess with it. What happens at six o'clock? You'll be the first to know.
7: Well, I stood there in the alley and watched him walk away. Inside, Lupo was blowing up a storm. Something about paying for a seven piece band and only having six. Well, it wasn't worth trying to get back on the stand. I got a cab and went up to my room. I tried to get to sleep. It was no good. I got up. I was sick to my stomach. After that, I went to sleep. The next morning, I made a pass at some breakfast and tried to look through the sports page. Harry Heilman got four for five against the Red Sox, but that's all I read. That envelope had me. People have been taken out in alleys before, and they've been worked over, usually to get something away from them, not to give it to them. No matter how I tried to put it together, it wouldn't come out thin or fat it wouldn't slice i had the envelope and i had to wait till six o'clock well i gave up on the coffee and i started over to see father cronin it was a little after nine thirty when i started up the steps of saint timothy's i figured mass was almost over so i hung around in the vestibule for a couple of minutes trying to look like a part-time bell ringer
8: hi mr kelly hello jake father's back in the sacristy mr kelly he said for me to show you the way they move it No,
7: sir. all right jake show me the way
8: This way, Mr. Kelly,
7: down this aisle. Well, I guess I was too busy trying to act like I knew my way around to pay much attention to a fat, chunky little guy wearing a brown, borsalino hat. He stood up in a back pew a couple of aisles over. The church was empty, except for the three of us. Little Jake found out about it just before
8: I did. Mr. Kelly,
5: that man back there. All right, mister, I'll take
6: that envelope. Jake, get down. Mr. Kelly, look out, look out. <laughs>
7: Kansas City. You learn early to look for trouble. Any place, any time. But this is the first time it caught up with me in the middle of a church. The last three shots were a waste of money. Jake went down like young wheat in a hailstorm. When I grabbed for him, I hit my head in the base of a marble pillar. I lost the edge right there. By the time I hit the street, he was gone. I guess I covered every alley and street in the neighborhood. But it was like trying to wash a pail of dirty water. I don't know how much later it was when I stopped for a minute in an empty doorway and tried to remember what I was chasing. Well, a siren was crying off somewhere in the distance, and I started back for the church. The coroner's wagon was just pulling away as I got there. I didn't see Father Cronin around, so I went back to the rectory and rang the bell. He came to the door in his shirt sleeve. He stood there for a minute just looking at me. Then he motioned me inside. In here. Sit down. The kid, Father? Little Jake. He's dead. You want to blow by blow? Yeah, I know, Father. I was there. Sure you were there. You're always there. I should have known better than to call you. I should have known it meant trouble. No, wait a minute, Father. This wasn't my party. I called you here today to ask you a favor, Pete. Yeah, I know. You don't know. It's too late now. We were going to have an altar boy's picnic tomorrow at Washington Park. I wanted you to play a little music for us. We won't be going now, Pete. We got a funeral instead. Yeah. What do you want me to say? Don't say anything, Pete. If you've got any private fights, that's your business. But don't bring your beefs into the church. I never saw the guy before, Father. Don't kid me. He didn't come in here to shoot little Jake. Now, look, I know this is hard to understand. You bet it's hard to understand. We've been over it before, but you ran with the same pack. You hung on to the same friends. You had it all figured out. Well, you figured this one, Pete. There's a nine-year-old boy on his way to the moor. He took a gangster's bullet that you earned. Now you go ahead. Figure it. I got this envelope. I don't want an explanation. Take your excuses and peddle them where you need them. For the bootleggers and the gunmen. Take him to your crowd. That's this envelope, Father. They shoved it in my pocket. I was out in the alley behind the club. Two guys. They worked me over. I didn't think they'd try anything like this. Neither did little Jake. All right, Father. I told you I was sorry. Go on, home. Why don't you stop cutting at me and say a prayer for that kid? I would, but I'm too busy praying for people like you. Well, you couldn't blame him. How do you explain away a dead kid lying in front of an altar rail? All I could offer was a two-cent envelope in my coat pocket and a wild night in an alley. I started to walk back to my room. I tried to paste up some kind of an answer, but I got nothing. I was halfway home when the last breeze left town and went someplace to cool off. My clothes were soaking wet, and I decided to take a cab the rest of the way. I reached in my pocket, and all I had was 23 cents, so I kept walking. Sunday morning's the same in any town
6: empty streets and everybody
7: home trading the comic section and living off a Saturday night. You could live here all your life, and on Sunday morning, you just got in town. It was about noon when I got to my hotel. I went up to the second floor and unlocked my door. They were sitting on the bed. Their coats were off, and they'd hung them on the back of a chair. The same two boys had given me the envelope last night.
5: Got a real hot room here, Kelly. You ought to move off this cord.
7: Yeah, next time I'll get twin beds. Is everything all right with that envelope? It made a murder, mister. You take it. Put it back in your pocket. Now get this, both of you. There's a lot of something wrong here. I've had my turn. You find yourself another fall guy. There's a lot of inside coat pockets in this town. Look for a new one.
5: We like yours, and that's where it's gonna stay. Now, you don't listen good. Me and Dex put it out last night, and you didn't pick up on it. We got you on board, and we'll tell you when to get off.
7: Six o'clock, boy. How long do you think this jag will last? Look, I'm cashing in. I've had enough. What were you doing this morning? Trying to pray your way out? The priest wanted a favor.
3: I got it, Long. Yeah. Jack. Yeah, yeah. No, he's busy.
5: I'm two:
7: or five. Sure, come on up. Benny. He went
5: for it, huh?
7: On his way up. We're going to stay a while, Kelly. Well, no, there's, there's only three chairs. I'll make it easy for you. Stay put, mister. No, he's your friend. I'm checking out. First time you've been right. Well, it happened so fast I didn't even see his arm move my knees buckled and i pitched forward i don't know how long i laid there but when i opened my eyes the afternoon sun was almost gone what was left of it was bleeding through a rip in the blind well i could hear somebody breathing hard like a fat man on a hot day and when i rolled over i saw him a tough prohibition agent by the name of cage the weather didn't make any difference to cage he always looked that way his collar was wilted and it looked like arrows first try his necktie was pulled down and the knot was twisted The heat had worked him over so that the front of his shirt was splotchy and damp. Reminded you of a first-grader's map of the world. He was sitting in a chair with his arms draped over the back and his head resting on his hands. He was smoking a Milo Violet, but it didn't help that much. His mouth was wound around a toothy grin, and he looked like a mountain lion who'd just eaten her young. You can get up now, Keller. You made your point. Yeah, sure. How long you been here? Long enough to fill out your book and slip. You're going to jail, Mister. What for? Sleeping on the floor? For the dead guy on the bed. Who is he? I don't know. How'd he get there? You put him there after you shot him. I get your hat. Look, prohibition's your racket. Dead bodies are out of your line. Not when I find him in your room. Now let's go downtown. We'll both tell homicide. We'll find the details later. Gee, you couldn't find yourself in a mirror. I didn't have anything to do with this, and you know it. I've been out for the last three hours. This happened after they slugged. Save it in. for the jury. All I know is I got a phone tip to check room 205. I come up here and I find you and a dead guy. That's all I need. You can dress it up fancy and make it look cute, but it still comes out. There's enough liquor in this town to float it away, and you're wasting your time with a killing. That's none of your business. You're my business, big shot. Somebody put two pounds of lead in Benny's chest, and you're my pick. Benny who? Benny Davis. He worked for Mike Quinlan. You look pale. Yeah, I'm just beginning to feel the squeeze. Mike Quinn on one side and those two trigger men that you let walk out of here on the other. You got it, and I'll be turning the handle. Now, before you start worrying about your picture in the paper, you better turn up the two guys that were here with me. That part of the same dream? They gave me an envelope to hold for him. The price on it's going up for the minute. A nine-year-old kid died for it, and this guy here on the bed. That's a good story. Do you write him down or just make him up? Look, you got nothing on me, and I haven't got much time. I'm leaving you. That's all right. I call downtown. The minute you hit the street, they'll pick you up. In the meantime, you better come up with more than you got. They don't hang you in this state on uh-huh. a hunch. I'm going to check this room over. I'll find all we need. You couldn't find your head with both. Hands. Goodbye, Cage. All right, you got till midnight, big shot, and then I'll be around. Yeah. I'll have it all set up. All we'll need is time to run the extra. Well, I could have used a cold shower, but with Cage there, I didn't have the room to dry off. I went down the hall and headed down the back stairs. I figured even if Cage was right about calling downtown, I might have an edge if I moved fast enough. The sun was on the downgrade, but it didn't make any difference had done a good job all day, and the heat was boiling up out of the ground. Well, if I was going to come out at all, I had to have some help. So I started to look for the only honest guy I know, an ex-bootlegger by the name of Barney Ricketts. The only bootlegger in the country that went broke in 1922. He drank himself out of business. I phoned eight different places and tried four. Nobody'd seen him. I was about ready to give up when I finally found him sitting in the middle of a bourbon fog in a little Spanish joint somewhere on the edge of the East Bottoms. He was sitting at a back table trying his best to make time with a plaster bust of Queen Isabella.
5: Pity, my boy, you're just in time. I'm not quite certain, but I think the young lady here has a friend. i got to talk to you, Barlow. If you're any good at all with Spanish, now's the time. I was positive she'd loosen up on this second bottle of wine, but no, she's utterly uncharitable, and I think she's a picture of a perfect boy. Yeah, all right, Barlow. To a member of the old Castilian school, there can be no excuse for the conduct she's exhibited. Yeah. Why, do you know I was even good enough to buy her three rounds of Portuguese brandy? Imported, mind you. But what do I get for my pains? Not even a sip. Thank you. All right, listen to me, will you, Barney? I've sitting here in the most gentlemanly fashion, sipping this delicate nectar and trying vainly to keep the party going. But does she help? No! I've talked to her about politics, medicine, literature, Keith, Byron, Shelley, Faith Baldwin. I've even talked about the weather. Barney, she's a statue. Oh, a simple oversight, Petey. It could happen to anyone. Now, look, I'm in trouble. Of course you're in trouble. You'll always be in trouble because you're a child of adversity, a son of scorn, the fates. It in your eye and you try to retaliate, but the wind's always blowing in the wrong direction. You're a lost leaf in the mortal storm, Petey. You're a pebble shaking a tiny fist at the mountain. You'd like to fight for some strange, fantastic cause, wouldn't you? But you can't find anybody your size. Men are too small and the gods are too big. Petey, you're lost.
7: You all through now. Yes, what kind of trouble? A pair of bum murder wraps. Somebody slugged me in my room, and I woke up with a dead guy. Oh, dubious honor.
5: You mentioned two murders. One of them was
7: an altar boy over at St. Timothy's. The other guy worked for Mike Quinlan.
5: The same Quinlan that controls most of the Canadian import here in town? Yeah, that's him. Oh, time's short. Let's finish the brandy. Two guys started all this at the club last night. Names are Ludd and Dex. Meaning anything to you? This will all sound better with more brandy. Uh, You picked two of Quinlan's first string. Ludd Sandell and Dex Porter, both
7: killers. Look, they gave me an envelope to hang on to. Now, nose around. See if you can find out what it all means. The dead guy up in my room, his name's Benny Davis. See if you can find out where he fits in, will you?
5: It'd be a lot simpler if you just joined Quinlan's gang. Benny Davis holds a card in the same organization.
7: Well, how about Ludd and Dex? Any bad blood between them and Dex? If there
5: is, it doesn't show. They're closer than unborn peas. You sure about that, Barney? Police blotter can't be that wrong. Benny's sister will tell you the same thing. Where do I find her? Chelsea Apartments. Beautiful girl, Petey. When you're my age, she'll disturb your memories. All right, now get
7: going, will you? See how close you can get to Quinlan's headquarters. Find out what you can about Ludd and Dex and Benny Davis. Maybe Quinlan's got him on a special job or something. Find out what it is, will you?
5: You find me in a temporary economic
7: slump, Petey. I'll need car fare. Yeah, well, that makes two of us. I'm broke. You'll have to do it on foot.
5: Oh well, I have friends here, and my credit's unlimited. Well, hurry up, will you, Barney? One moment, Alfonso. Would you loan me a dollar and a half? Come on, let's go. He's only bluffing. He won't shoot. <laughs>
7: Well, Barney headed down toward Bale Street from Mike Quinlan's place, and I started crosstown for the north end and the Chelsea apartments. I couldn't begin to work it out. If Dex and Ludd were such good friends with Benny Davis, why did they kill him? And if they didn't do it, who planted his body in my room and why? Well, I was running way late and there wasn't much time to catch up. I finally found the Chelsea apartments on the corner of Stocker and Bale's with an old three-story wooden frame. I checked the mailbox, and Louise Davis was down for apartment 17. Well, inside, the hallway was dark, and a couple of gas jets were smoking up the ceiling. There was a potted palm by the foot of the stairs, and it looked like it was growing out of old gum wrappers and cigar butts. Apartment 17 was at the rear of the first floor. She answered the door, and you could tell right away Barney was right. She was pretty, and she had enough smile to last you for years. Yes? You Louise Davis? That's right.
8: I can do better for you. You're Pete Kelly. I've heard you play.
7: Yeah, well, so far you're batting a 1,000. Can I come in?
8: Yeah, Sure. You didn't bring your band, so it must be a social call.
7: I'll make this short. It's about Benny. What about him? That's what I want to know. He's got a couple of friends. I gotta know about him.
8: Then he isn't that popular. You mean Lud and Dex?
7: They'll do. They got trouble and they're cutting me in.
8: What kind of trouble? Well,
7: I'm not sure. That's why I came to you.
8: I can't help you. They never tell me what they're doing.
7: Well, they gave me an envelope. They told me to hold it till six o'clock tonight.
8: You haven't got any problem. You'll know in
7: an hour. Yeah, well, maybe I'm tired. I want to know now. I'll take any lead you got.
8: They found out I told you this. They might not like it. They got some kind of a beef with Quinlan.
7: Does Mike know about it?
8: I wouldn't know. I just heard him talking one night. They're not happy with the money Quinlan gives them.
7: They got any plans?
8: I don't think we've got to talk about this. Let me get you a drink,
7: huh? Now, look, this is the last trip around for me, lady. I've got to have everything you know.
8: You said something about an envelope, didn't you?
7: That's right. You got it? Right here.
8: If you open it, you'll understand everything.
7: Well, they gave it to me sealed. They want it back the same way.
8: If you want to be around to give it back, you'd better open it.
7: You got a guarantee, Andy?
8: All I know is the three of them are working on something big. I don't know what it is, but I heard some talk about an envelope. It's your choice. Yes, we leave leaving. You got it.
7: Yeah, we well, hold hands when they cut me down. You got a letter opener? Pete, look out! Well, it all happened faster than a Mexican divorce. Louise Davis was dead before the echo left the room. Well, I got to the window, but whoever did the shooting was gone. I grabbed the envelope, and on my way out, I took another look at her. There wasn't anything left but the smile. I cut through a couple of back lots and down an alley. I stopped in the doorway and opened the envelope. Inside was a handful of typewritten sheets. Looked like a lot of headache for five pieces of paper. And then the bell rang. Two of them were consignment slips for 8,000 gallons of high-grade Canadian whiskey. The other three slips were detailed breakdowns for a convoy of trucks. They showed special truck routes over the Canadian border into the States to miss the hijackers and the prohibition agents. They showed a day-by-day schedule for each truck on its trip down from the border. Well, it's not too tough to hijack a load of booze, but when you got it laid out right down at the time, the place and how many bottles, it's like money in the bank. So well, I knew right then why the envelope meant so much to Ludden Dex. What I couldn't understand was where they got it, why they gave it to me to hang on to. Well, maybe they were working for Quinlan, but why didn't he have the papers, and why weren't they in as safe? Mike had a big one. Well, the questions were still piling up. There was an outside chance, but I couldn't stand still, so I crossed over to the Kansas side and headed down Boulder Road to Fat Annie's place. Maggie Jackson did two things good. She sang the blues better than the guy who wrote them, and she could pick up an idle rumor at three miles. Hi, Pete. Maggie, what do you know?
8: I knew you'd be here tonight. You always come in together. Trouble and Pete Kelly.
7: Yeah, I know. I never come around except when I need something.
8: As long as I have it to give, you got it. It's Mike Quinnen this time, is it?
7: Well, that's a part of it. I'm in it up to my ears.
8: You got an envelope, I heard. Yeah. Mike Quinnen and some of his boys have been here about an hour ago. They tore the paper off the walls looking for you and Dex and Ludd. Dex and Ludd? Mike wants all three of you. Yeah? Anything else? No. Barney Rickett's called for you.
7: Did he leave a number?
8: He's still waiting on the phone. I took the call. He said you'd end up here, so he just hung on.
7: Well, I'll get it right now.
8: Yeah, the boss is kind of mad. The phone's been tied up for two hours. All right, thanks, Maggie. Sure, and good luck, Pete. Hello, Barney. Ah, there you are, Petey.
7: That'll
5: be a dollar twenty five for another three minutes. Yes, all right, operator. I'll run through five more Just a minute, Petey. Alfonso doesn't know the quarters from the house. Yeah, well, hurry up. Thank you. Now then, Pete, no, no, Alfonso, no more money for the moment. What's going on, Barney? Where are you? Fort Madison, Iowa. I'm troubleshooting for you,
7: Pete. What'd you find out?
5: It's a double-cross. Mike Quinlan's involved in one of the biggest deals of his career, and Benny Davis, along with Dex and Ludd, stole the consignment papers. Yeah, I
7: know. That's what's in the envelope. What do I do about Dex and Yeah,
5: She might easily end up like Benny Davis. Uh, seems Ludd and Dex didn't want to split it three ways, so they killed him. You
7: sure about all this?
5: That's why I'm up here in Iowa. I suggest that you join us. No,
7: I'll see you when you get back.
5: Uh, It's been a gay, mad world, Petey. We drove 60 miles an hour all the way up here. Yeah? Alfonso's drunk. He thinks the phone's a slot machine. He's waiting for the payoff. Well, as soon as I hung up
7: the... And everything fell into place I had one big worry To get back to the club and unload those papers Before Quinlan caught up with me Well, almost everything made sense now Except the killing of Louise Davis, Benny's sister It was easy to see why they dropped Benny along the way But why his sister? How did she tie in? Well, on the way back to town I mulled over a couple of possibilities And I figured maybe I came up with the answer I started back for town And it was rough all the way I kept thinking any minute I'd bump into Mike Quillen, and I couldn't be sure that I'd lost Dex and Lud. It was almost dark by the time I got back to the club. The band was waiting around for the Sunday rehearsal. We ran through one number, and then things got cloudy. Now, Kelly. You're early, Dex. Close enough. No, not for me. You said six o'clock. Your horn's no match for this gun. Give me the envelope. Six o'clock, Dex. All right. Let's try someday, sweetheart. Hand me that plunger, will you, Red? I'll give you the pickup. Louise Davis? I don't know what you're talking about. I think you do. You killed her and you killed her brother. You got it all figured out, haven't you, kid? player's right, Dex. Don't turn around.
5: You got it wrong, Lud. I don't think so. I never should have let you kill Benny. That should have been the tip-off and that kid in the church and Benny's sister. You had to make the big try.
7: It was for me and you, Lud.
5: It won't wash. You're going to die, Dex. Pick a spot to lay down. Yeah.
7: Not in the back, Lud. You'd give me a better chance than that. Would I? Look out, Lud.
5: Like I said, Dex, pick a spot
7: Well, that wraps it up, Kelly? You better sit down, Lud. No, this will do. It won't be a long wait. I don't mind standing. Sit yourself. Six o'clock, Lud. Here's your envelope.
5: Yeah. Thanks.
7: Yeah. Hello, Pete. Hi, right, Father. Just going to stop by. I heard the gunshots. I knew you'd be around. Well, let me tell you again, Father. I'm sorry about Jake. I don't know what else to say. I'm just sorry. I believe you. We'll have the funeral for little Jake tomorrow. Maybe you want to stop by. Yeah. Some things never figure. A nine-year-old kid shot down. No reason for it. None in the world. Nine-year-old kid. It's done, Pete. Don't waste your pity on little Jake. He's got a big lead on both of us. I don't get you, Father. You and I should die as good as a nine-year-old.
3: Jim Moser, and music by Dick Cascard. Scoring by Matty Matlock.
5: The music of Pete Kelly's Big Seven consists
7: of Dick Cascard on cornet, Matty Matlock on clarinet, Nick Fatul on drums, Ray Sherman on piano, George Bannett on guitar, Judd Donat on bass, Mo Schneider on trombone. The songs of Maggie Jackson were written by Arthur Hamilton.
5: (laughs) Pete Kelly's Blues is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.
0: From the K-Rob collection, this has been Audio Antiques, a program featuring shows from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson, urging you to subscribe to this podcast and to share it with anyone who loves classic broadcasts. Our music is by H-Beats, that's H-Beats with a Z. Thanks so much for listening.